Hello and welcome back to the Faith at Home podcast. Today we are diving into a recording from our Parents Encouraging Parents series of transgender recorded earlier this year in February. We hope that this conversation produces some fruit in your family and that you would feel encouraged to have conversations about uh, gender and transgender and the entire um, conversation around what's happening in our world today. Blessings as you listen to this recording. So first, a quick poll. Anybody here feel they have their mind firmly around the transgender debate? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> All right, so it's needed, and that's what it was at our church. And so I was given the task to research this, which I gladly did, and, and came back, and, and uh, I, I looked at online at the courses you've been giving here, and I'm jealous. There's some great courses. I'm going to steal some of those ideas, and we're going to do them up there, because they're very good. Some of the ones we've done up there, uh, we looked at uh, critical theory. School when I did, no one ever knew critical theory. That's the ideology behind the worldview that's really transforming our culture. That's behind Black Lives Matter or critical race theory. It's what's behind uh, cultural Marxism. It's what's behind critical gender theory. Um, if, if you want to get caught up to speed on that, there's a guy named Neil Shendy. Uh, he's got a one hour uh, primer on that. Go to YouTube, Neil Shendy. We looked at is Christianity true? If someone came in here and dumped the bones of Christ on the table, would you be a Christian any longer is what we asked our teenagers. And the answer is no, I wouldn't. And so can you defend when you go off to college later to professors the truthfulness of Christianity? And so we did an apologize for it. We trained them how to defend the pro-life position. And we did transgenderism, as she mentioned, was, was six weeks long. And we're going to do the impossible, which is condense it down to 45 minutes. Um, and we also don't want to reinvent the wheel. And by that I mean, I'm gonna give you a bunch of resources, and I think the biggest task in apologetics is to put in people's hands the resources that they can go back later and digest. I'm not here to reinvent and barf up everything that's in these resources. You can go look at these at your leisure, and we'll talk about specifically this, this resource list in a minute. Um, but what I wanna do is give you the 30,000 foot view that if you don't understand this, when you read this, it won't make any sense. You have to have this baseline knowledge of what is going on here, Right? in order to understand the nuts and bolts things that we're going to give you. It can't be done in reverse order. Right? That's my purpose today. I want, to, I want you to go right out of the box. I'm not an expert. Um, when I was in training, I came out of residency in 1991 and started my practice, and I never heard the word transgenderism one time in my entire medical training. Um, and in my career in medicine, I have two patients right now that are transitioning that never heard of it until the last five years. So I had to research this just like everyone else has to. Uh, so if it's accessible to me, I think with these resources, it's accessible to you. Um, in reality, the transgender debate is really not a medical debate after all, anyway. It, it's, it's really an ideological battleground that's waging in our culture right now. Uh, gender theory uh, isn't based on uh, facts. It's, it's solely an ideology based in worldviews that have been in conflict with Christianity for centuries. Nothing new under the sun. Um, there's this big debate's not based on scientific facts or even objective uh, reality, really. Uh, it's simply based on how uh, gender theorists wish the world would be. And hopefully we can show you that today. Now, we as Christians need to be better prepared to engage this in culture, and we have every right to do that. Just as they have every right to push their agenda, we have every right to push back. Right? And we've done a poor job, historically. But much of the fear about this topic is what you kind of fear, the fear of the unknown. Not knowing about this makes it scary and spooky and creepy. And it's kind of like uh, horror movies. I, I don't like horror movies, and the reason I don't like them is because they're creepy and scary in the start. 
When something is out there stalking you, it's creepy and scary, right? You don't know what it is, you don't know how to interact, everything's creepy and scary. But as soon as you get a glimpse of what is out there, to me, the scariness goes away. Oh, it's a dude in a, in a rubber suit. That's not scary anymore. So the whole movie doesn't become scary anymore because I understand it. So when, you, when we talk about this debate, once you peel back the language and the rhetoric and the political posturing that's going on in this, you find out there's nothing there. The emperor has no clothes. It, it's a bunch of fluff about nothing. And we'll show you that. Uh, so this is, there's no objective facts in this war. Uh, there's nothing behind it except ideologies and faulty worldviews. All right? So the first question is, how rapidly is this affecting our culture? I don't need to convince you of that. You see it all the time. And one of the resources I'm going to show you, uh, they, they uh, put out statistics that said in just seven years, this was written in 2019, um, there's been a 2,000% increase in children seeking treatment for sexual identity disorder in the United Kingdom. That was in 2019. Just last week, I'm sure you heard about it on the news, the Pew Research uh, group came out with a new study that said one in six, that's around 16% of adults between 18 and 23 identified as LGBTQ. That's unbelievable, unbelievable. In 2014, which is ancient statistics when it comes to this kind of thing, there were 24 gender clinics in the nation. One year later, there were 40, and by, that, by now it's grown exponentially. What can you imagine led to be the driving force behind this huge increase in clinics offering gender reassignment? What do you think drove it? You had to guess. Social media. I'm sorry, what? Social media. Social media, that's a good one. It's funny, when you, when you answer, I can't see whose mouth moves. But what drove this, well, the driving force behind this wasn't evidence-based medicine. Yeah, this is not a medical dis discussion. What drove this was parental demand for services. Wow. Let that sink in. So in, in the debate regarding how we treat children with gender dysphoria is particularly disturbing. And ultimately, it's an ethical debate all right, that concerns conflicting worldviews uh, much more than it does uh, science. The American Academy of Pediatricians called it institutionalized child abuse. Now, uh, the debate regarding how we treat children is going to be the, the major focus of what we talk about here, although adults will come into play later, as we'll talk about. However, we have to remember that when we're talking about transgender individuals, we're talking about fellow human beings created in God's image who are struggling with a very severe right, and dangerous condition. They deserve our love. They deserve our respect. They deserve all the other things we give to every other Christian brother and sister. Okay. Now, when you deal with these people, you have to have a knowledge of scripture, you have to have a knowledge of what we're going to go through today, and a thick skin. It's not going to go well for you, all right? And you have to be prepared for that, all right? But always remember, and never lose sight of, people struggling with this are fellow human beings, fellow Christians, many times, all right? So I want to begin with, if you, have, if you haven't got it already, the, the resource guide, and I'm going to go through them really quickly because this is where the Take big bang for the buck is. First thing out of the gate is this one right here. If you have a if high school kids, is this mostly high school? Middle school, high school? It's yeah. too late. This is elementary school. Middle school. Right. This was put out uh, by the Minnesota Family Council in 2019. It's online. Simply go to parentresourceguide.com. This is what I would like you to download. This is what I was I was told to prevent or provide for you. What do parents need to know? I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. It's right here. It's very accessible. You were the audience. They wrote this for. Now, who wrote this? Um, a, a wide coalition of people support this uh, all along the political spectrum, from the Heritage Foundation, which is very uh, uh, conservative. The other end of the spectrum uh, was the Women's Liberation Front. I mean, to get those two people aligned on the same issue is impossible, but they were sounding the, the warning sign of what's going on. This is the practical nuts and bolts of what you need to know as a parent. 
It's on your paper. I, I tried to do that Microsoft uh, bibliography. I think it's messed up. But anyway, it's on there. But transgenderguide.com is all you need to know. All right? Oh, uh, second uh, great one I got. This is a, a paper by who is now uh, Pastor Wardell um, of all places. This is a, a Wells graduate. And this is his uh, thesis for his MDiv degree. And it's entitled, Are Transgender People Sinning? So each one of these resources is going to come at this debate from a very different angle. It's a very multifaceted uh, argument or, or ideology. So the first one is going to be your parent resource guide. This, this one comes at it from a pastoral uh, and a counseling and kind of a church view. It's excellent. It's got definitions. It's got theories uh, as to uh, where this comes from, treatment, what can we as a church do about it? How do you as an individual counsel a loved one about it? Very pastoral, but also gives you the nuts and bolts. It's probably the best thing out there. Um, it also does a great uh, uh, word search through scripture. What does scripture say about gender and gender roles? It's simply excellent. Uh, uh, Reverend Nathan Wardell, and you can get it online, and I put the, the, the in the notes there. Um, next one, gender dysphoria in children. This one looks at the issue from the medical point of view. Say I want to know what, what is the medical perspective of this. People come at me and say, well, I was born this way. I have certain hormones that make me this way. Well, this is a group called the American College of Pediatricians and that came together as concerned doctors and looked at the medical science behind this and came to the conclusion of there's no there there. There is no evidence-based medicine there. This is pure ideology. And if you want to rebut someone who's coming at you with some sort of medical question about it, this is where you go for medical information. All right? Important for you to know the difference between groups. American College of Pediatricians is a group of physicians who came together to study this from a medical perspective. American Academy of Pediatrics is the political action wing of pediatricians. All right? So they're going to be very left-wing. They're going to lean towards affirmation therapy that we'll talk about, all right? Lastly, we should go right to the source, standards of care. This is standards of care for health of transsexual, transgender, and gender nonconforming people put out by the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Are they, these people aren't doctors. These are people that are coming together to form uh, a very pro-transgender standard of care. What should we push to be the standard of care uh, for treating transgender individuals? So we should go right to the source and get right from their mouth what they think about things. This is where you get it, okay? A couple books I'll just mention. If you want to come at this, uh, again, from, uh, from a more theological point of view, Ethics of Sex, this is put out by Concordia Publishing House. It's a series of eth essays by uh, theologians looking at different aspects of human sexuality, and transgenderism is in there. Um, if you want to come at this from a political point of view, when Harry became Sally, I'm sure you've heard about this. This was recently ghosted by Amazon. It's made the news. This I got my hands on, on this when it came out. It's excellent. It's about the political reality of what does this mean for us. Um, and finally, if you're into a worldview perspective, I look at things that way. Nancy Piercy is always the go-to for worldview things. Love Thy Body, uh, recommend that book. So a bunch of resources to look at this from any direction that you particularly feel you're drawn to, all right? Because it has all those facets, all those perspectives to it. So where are we gonna go this hour? We're gonna talk about what is transgender. We're gonna talk about what kind of ideology leads you to think that there's this concept of transgenderism. We're going to talk about the theories as to why someone may have that transgender impulse. And then finally, how, how do we treat transgenderism? What are the thoughts on it? So that's where we're going. So to start off, what is transgenderism? Dr. Uh, Paul McHugh, former chairman of psychiatry at, at Johns Hopkins, uh, put it this way, quote, the idea that one's sex is fluid and a matter open to choice runs unquestioned through our culture and is reflected everywhere in the media, the theater, the classroom, and in many medical plays. It's taken on cult-like features, its own special lingo, internet chat rooms provide slick answers to new recruits, and clubs for easy access to dresses and styles supporting the sex change. 
It is doing much damage to families, adolescents, and children and should be confronted as an opinion without biological foundation whenever it emerges, end quote. So how do you drive a movement on a medical issue that's not based on biological facts? How do you do that? Well, it must start by manipulating language, all right, in this case, terminology. The power of language to color someone's reality is profound. And controlling the language of the debate is extremely important in advancing your worldview, okay? The use of, a, of language is very important in the LGBT community, and these terms are very specific. So almost every one of these guys has a long list of terms. Cisgender, heteronormative gender, all these things. So you understand the terminology. So you can use it appropriately when you're talking to someone. Now these meanings change a lot, which is very frustrating, but you need to have a baseline understanding of certain terms, and we'll discuss some of them. But linguistic engineering, meaning changing the language, always precedes social engineering. All right? R. Galloy, in a, in a pro-life semantic guide, states, quote, those who govern the culture's language govern the culture. Why? Because words shape ideas and affect how people think. Put simply, words teach. The culture war is largely a word of wars and a word of wars, a war of words, excuse me. <laughs> and no one fights it better than the media. No, they know better than anyone that if you want to change the way people think, just change the words. End quote. Example. In the 1950s, the word gender meant male or female, but strictly in a grammatical sense. When you're writing, you write about males, when you write about females. In the 50s and 60s, there were a group of, of doctors, one in particular, John Money, who considered himself a sexologist, all right? And he realized he couldn't defend sex change, right, uh, using surgery and hormones. Um, because he, that's a objective biological impossibility, right? You can't change sexes, all right? So he wanted, to, he was getting nowhere in promoting that idea, so his solution was, I'll simply change the word gender and infuse it with new meaning. There was no scientific breakthrough, no series of studies that were done, no experiments that were run. He had an objective ideology and changed terms to accomplish it and gender was the first term. He infused it with new meaning that did apply to individuals. He changed the word gender to mean the social performance indicative of an internal sex identity. All right, the social performance indicative of internal sex identity. So they invented the ideological foundation necessary to justify treatment of transsexuals with hormones and surgery simply by changing <coughs> the meaning of the word gender. It's very important you know that. This wasn't scientific. It was an ideology put forth by changing definitions. So this now has become the mainstream man-made ideology that dominates uh, mainstream medicine, it dominates uh, the culture, it dominates psychiatry and academia. The concept of gender never has been a biological or scientific entity, but rather a socially and politically constructed Concept. They made it up. So consider first sex change from a Christian worldview point of view. Um, changing sex is objectively impossible. God creates us lovingly and with intention as male and female, body and soul, as an integrated <coughs> part, correct? That's how we're made. And God has gender roles that he expects of all, from all of us. Uh, and it is based on his created uh, order. Uh, so God created this gender binary, this binary you were born male or female. And if you opposed uh, and you possessed the designed and created sex organs uh, of a male but wish to live as a female and undergo treatments to change or modify your body in appearance, it doesn't change who you are. Surgically altering the body does not change who you're designed to be, right? If I think I'm a man in a woman's body and I remove my penis, you're not a woman, you're a man without a penis, right? It's objective fact. So how does changing the language create a new change in society? Well, let's look at some of these terms taken directly from them, from the National Center of Transgender Equality, 
And let's see what some of the different meanings are of some of these terms, and it will start to become clear. The word sex. Sex now means the biological designation based on body parts. So sex refers to reproductive capacity. You're either born with uh, male sex organs or female sex organs. It's your junk at delivery, right? That's what makes, that's your sex. Gender now, as we said, is a social designation based on a person's subjective inner concept, behavior, or sometimes even transient self-identification, all right? Independent of biological sex. So in other words, gender is what you feel you are, right? It's a psychological concept, a sociological term, not a biological one. So gender studies professor Julia Wood said, quote, gender is learned and is neither innate nor necessarily stable, end quote. So this means that gender can change with time. One becomes male or female through a complex process of socialization. Gender is awareness of becoming male so what this means is Bruce Jenner was born with male reproductive organs and he was treated as a male and behaved as a male, but now he thinks he's a woman and wants to behave like a woman, right? And there's nothing wrong with that because bodily sex has nothing to do with your identity. Your identity can change, even if your sex organs stay the same. So gender identity obviously would mean how people see themselves as either male or female or one of the other 56 plus genders that are out there now. Sexual, and that's different, but you have to understand the sexual orientation. Sexual orientation is how you see others, okay? Uh, homosexuals are attracted to individuals of the same gender. Heterosexuals are attracted to people of the opposite gender. We're talking about how you perceive yourself, all right? Next important word is dysphoria. Dysphoria is a, defined as a profound state of unease or dissatisfaction that produces the reaction of distress. All right, so it's intense psychological distress. That's dysphoria. So what's gender dysphoria? It's distress that comes when a person's gender identity, who they feel they are inside, does not match their biological sex, their junk. All right, so key to this disorder is consistent persistent and insistent belief that the mind and the body are not on the same page. This produces an intense distress. Now, how bad does this distress get? This is where we talk about there are people out there hurting with a very dangerous condition. How bad does this get? The dysphoria is so great that the rate of lifetime suicide across all ages of transgender individuals is 44%. That's compared to less than 5% so the dysphoria is intense. Now, this is the presumed motivation, the dysphoria, behind all treatment strategies for gender dysphoria. It's important you know that. If we don't intervene, the dysphoria will be so strong that that person will kill themselves. And that's the motivation behind all treatment strategies, because this is a dangerous, life-threatening problem. So super important question number one. The problem going on here is dysphoria, distress. It's not that these people are, are suffering from some sort of disordered thought process, right? The problem that leads me to think that I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, no, that's perfectly fine. The thoughts regarding their gender are true and valid because they feel them, right? I feel this way, therefore it's true. So the problem we need to address is the dysphoria, this, the, the distress that this individual has. They don't suffer from disordered thinking, they suffer from distress. So super important question number one. If gender confusion is not a symptom of disordered thinking, all right, because uh, we construct for ourselves our own uh, gender, um, then where does this distress, this dysphoria come from? Where does it come from? Well, it comes from you, cisgender, heteronormative, Christian beings. That's where it comes from. It comes from you. You are the problem. Right? Uh, you represent a, a repressive and rigid gender roles 
that lead to intimidation, violence, and bigotry towards that transgender individual um, that leads to their deepening dysphoria. The problem's not that they suffer from disordered thinking again, but rather you make, how you make them feel about themselves and their perceived gender identity is the problem. You are the problem. So super important question number two. If you are the problem with dysphoria, how do you stop, how do you treat gender dysphoria? Rid of the problem. How do you do that? He said get rid of the problem. The problem is you must change. You're the problem, you must change. Okay? Rather than change uh, their disordered thinking, they would rather change the view of society, especially bigoted Christians. So different than my Hitler did. We must change to accept them for how they feel inside, and the dysphoria will resolve. We call that affirmation of their self-identity. We must affirm their feeling that they really are who they feel they are, and then the dysphoria resolves, and they won't kill themselves. Now, the treatment for gender dysphoria is to affirm that perceived gender at all costs. That means surgery, that means uh, uh, hormonal treatment, whatever it takes, because the goal uh, is to also change how society views that thought of self and give it full moral equivalence. So, an example. Prior to 2013, the DSM-4, this is a guide for psychiatrists use the big manual that, that lists all the psychiatric disorders and how we diagnose them, used to live, list this as gender identity disorder. You see how that places on the person that there's something wrong with their thought process. They have a disordered thinking. Well, the following year, in, in response to intense political pressuring, they changed the meaning of definition. Here that is again. Not based on science, not uh, uh, systemic review and studies. It was based on political pressure, they changed definitions of words. Now the, the term, the disorder is called gender dysphoria. Notice we've changed from a disorder of thought process to intense, uneasy feelings inside. All right, so the problem is the distress, not the disorder thinking. So it was also thought that to call it dysphoria would be free of moral judgments uh, and ethical judgments. So where did this concept of transgenderism come from? What, what ideology must you have to even believe that you can be a man trapped uh, in a woman's body? Now, we're not gonna focus too much on this, but I, uh, I find this the most fascinating part about this, so we're gonna spend just a couple minutes on it. But there's nothing new under the sun. This all comes from an ancient Christian heresy that's, that's been in conflict with Christianity for centuries called Gnosticism. Has anyone heard that term before? Gnosticism? All right, so, so you, you guys know. Um, so we'll not focus too much, but to explain Gnosticism, I, I just say this is every movie Walt Disney ever made, basically, what Gnosticism is. For example, in Gnosticism, the focus is on the internal self. The oneness with the divine is our true identity. The spiritual is good and the physical is bad, is an oversimplification of Gnosticism. We are spirits or sparks of the divine trapped in the prison cell of this material world, and our goal is to escape that. So if you want to understand this, think Beauty and the Beast. All right, very simple. Uh, the true prince is not the beast, right? He's the good guy trapped inside the evil, physical, bad beast, right? He's experiencing a lot of dysphoria because he's the good prince in this evil world that he's trapped in, right? He, he's um, trying to escape this, so salvation or authenticity for this prince becomes escaping this evil world, escaping the beast, becoming the true prince that he always knew he was, finding his true identity within, all right? Being true to your inner self, that's every Disney movie ever made, right? Be true to yourself. So they separate this God-given body and soul and split them apart that we, our true authentic self-identity is who we believe we are inside, everything physical, including objective biological reality, is evil, and it doesn't define me. See how that leads to that? So um, transgender consequences are transgender individuals see the real you 
as the person you are deep down inside, the spiritual spark within. And this overrides all evil physical factors, including your, your biological sex. So gender becomes a construct of my self-identification. All right? And Gnosticism is the perfect philosophical foundation for people who want to do that. Uh, the biological binary of sexes no longer applies. The self rules, right? We construct for ourselves our own identities and even our own realities. So David Adams put it this way, quote, in order to promote its position, the transgender movement must disconnect personhood from spiritual or sexuality. That is, it must argue that an individual's biological sex is not a central feature of one's existence as a person, this is essentially a neo-Gnostic position in which the sexual identity of a person is distinct from the sexual identity of the body in which the person is imprisoned, close quote. Beauty and the beast. All right? To separate the pure self from the physical self is pure Gnosticism. So when God is removed as our loving creator, and we have a society now that rejects the concept of a creator, we're left with a void. Who makes us male and female? God does, with love and intention. And he constructs us with a personality type, and he constructs us with gifts and talents, and he gives each and every one of us. Right? But when we remove God from there, we have this void. Now it's up to us to construct our own identity. We decide who I am. We, just, we construct our own morality, what's right and wrong. We construct our own sexuality, what gender I am, and who are you to tell me different because I get to make that decision. God doesn't. So what makes a person have transgender impulses? So if that's the philosophy, and you talk to a bunch of people and say, oh, you're nothing but a Gnostic, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. But there are people who struggle with transgender impulses, with this thought, uh, I would call it a delusional thought, that they are a male in a female's body, what would lead people to do that? Now, there's many theories as to where transgender feelings come from. We're going to skip this for, for sake of time, but in our resources, especially uh, Pastor Waddell's uh, fine paper, they've got a great section and all the different theories as to where this comes from. But the two most common, the first one that most transgender um, advocates will hold to is the feminine essence theory, and basically, to boil that one down, what that really means is the sex-related structures of the brain that define gender identity are exactly opposite of the sexed organs uh, of the body. In other words, I was born with male sex organs, but born with a female brain. Now, there's lots wrong with that theory. And if you want to know the medical re rebuttal to that, go to the position paper by the American Academy of Pediatrics. They'll, they'll tell you why that's kind of nonsense. Dr. Ray Blanchard was a psychiatrist who studied this in the 70s. He's had very interesting theories as to, as to what causes this, and we can go into that later if we have time, but they're very uh, interesting. But there are many theories, but the bottom line is this, and I'm gonna quote from the American College of Pediatricians. They conclude, quote, there's no single family dynamic, social situation, adverse events, or combination thereof that's been found to destine any child to develop gender dysphoria. This fact, together with twin studies, suggests that there are many paths that may lead to gender dysphoria in certain predisposed kids. Social reinforcement, internet, parental psychopathology, family dynamics, and social contagion, fueled by mainstream and social media, all contribute to the development and or persistence of gender dysphoria in some vulnerable children. Uh, end quote. What does social contagion mean? Anyone heard that before? A woman named Abigail Schreier, some of you may have heard her book that recently came out called Irreversible Damage. She's really kind of referring to this entity called rapid onset gender dysphoria. <clears throat> the concept of social contagion means, imagine if you're in middle school, and in middle school your whole world revolves around your friends. Your whole world, they're everything. And imagine that alpha female comes to school one day with a new haircut. What happens in two weeks? They all have the same hair? Now imagine if that alpha female comes and says, no, I think I'm a boy. Guess what happens? 
Two-thirds of the girls in that group suddenly now think they're a boy too. Social contagion, acts like a virus that spreads through social things in groups that are deeply driven by that. Adolescent females, if we couldn't find a better group for that. So what has become the standard of care? How do we treat this? Um, what's the standard of care by compassionate school systems and physicians caring for those who are gender dysphoric? So let's take uh, consider a four-year-old. Four-year-old little boy, he meets the criteria, meaning he's consistent, persistent, and insistent gender dysphoria. In other words, this little four-year-old thinks he's a little girl. So the treatment strategy in medicine always starts with the prime directive. The prime directive is first do no harm. Uh, that means we don't want our treatment to be worse than it is be, right? Interesting, this week I've seen some articles coming out attacking that very thing. They're saying, should we really live by first do no harm? And it was written by transgender activists, right? So what would happen if we elected no treatment for this little boy who thought he was a little girl? Just did nothing, benign waiting, benign watchfulness. What would happen? What do you think? Well, well, according to uh, uh, WAPATH uh, themselves, transgender community itself, and the DSM-5 bears this up, as many as 98% of the gender-confused boys and 88% of gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological sex after naturally passing through puberty. In other words, it just goes away. So the question becomes, what should we do then with this four-year-old with a non-fatal condition, knowing that it's going to resolve itself 98% of the time in a few short years. All right, so one approach, one approach would be, well, let's help this little boy understand that he's intentionally designed by a loving God. Right? He designed him male or female, but not both, and gives each of us a unique personality characteristics. He gives us uh, our own uh, uh, goals in life uh, with love and intention, and we can help people live comfortably and in harmony with, with their natal sex or their born sex, even if their personality characteristics are slightly outside the gender norms of our culture. In other words, even if I'm a little boy who likes dolls or a little girl who likes to play in the mud, you're still a little boy and you're still a little girl. And we as parents should love our children even if they're a tomboy even if they have characteristics that aren't manly man stuff, all right? They're still made by God, male and female. So one approach would be uh, help let this boy uh, learn to live comfortably in his body. We call that approach conversion therapy, okay? The American Academy of Pediatrics calls that unethical. And the school system considers it inhumane, and it's now banned in nine states, probably many more today. In other words, if we took that four-year-old child to the school counselor and says he's a little confused, can you help me? It would be unethical for that counselor to do anything other than affirm that that little boy is a little girl. And if she tries to change the child's mind, she could lose her job. Now we're getting into the parent resource guide, okay? Now you're gonna see, when, when we start reading about this, the consequences of some of this, now it's gonna make sense for you when you read it. All right? So if conversion therapy is unethical, right, what then is the treatment for gender dysphoria? How do you treat it? Well, as, as I've said, it's the gender affirmation model. And the gender affirmation model holds that the severe dysphoria in transgender individuals is the direct an inevitable consequence of discrimination and violence by cisgender heteronormative bigots like you. No. Okay? No. <laughs> 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 to withhold gender affirmation will inevitably lead to high suicide rates in transgender individuals. Remember, the, the rate is high as 44%. So that's the, the statistics they hold to to substantiate the gender affirmation model. We must affirm their choice at all costs, even as young as four years old, okay? Um, 
it's not the, the individual who needs to be changed, it's society at large needs to be changed to accept to one that accepts transgenderism with full moral equivalent. You know, I always find it interesting when Christians say, oh, what's the big deal? Johnny wants to do this and my son wants this. How naive can you be? Seriously, how naive can you be? All you have to look at, the, at is what's going on in our society today. How naive can you be? All right? Their goal is to transform society. You are the problem. Okay? The late Franklin Kameni, who was an LGBT activist, he states it as such, quote, I have tended not to adjust myself to society, but with considerable success have adjusted society to me. And society is much better off for the adjustments I have administered, end quote. Changing how you see gender and, and morality is the goal of the movement. All right? Rod Dreyer, uh, you may have read the book, um, The Benedict Option. Uh, his new book is Live Not By Lies. It's excellent. You should read it. And you'll, the scales will fall from your eyes as you look at our culture. Um, but he puts it. Live Not By Lies is his newest one. He says, quote, you can't argue with an identity politics zealot because to deny their assertion is to deny their personhood. In turn, they owe you no respect. The higher cause of exerting and affirming their identity excuses everything. And this is how the rule of law ends and the law is replaced by the will to power, end quote. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about when you start to have dialogue with transgender individuals, they're not going to perceive you as attacking something that they do. You're attacking who they are. And there's a big difference. We see it as you're doing a behavior that's not right. And they see it as you're rejecting me as a person. And if you're doing that, anything I do to push back against that is on the table. I can cancel you any way I want to cancel you, and I'm justified because no one knows the person I am except me. See how that works? Um, so you better be ready for a fight. So how does it work? Um, what is being pushed as the standard of care uh, for gender dysphoria? Uh, now this is taken uh, straight out of their guidelines, uh, and you can read it for yourself, uh, from the Wallpath Treatment Guidelines for Children and Adolescents. Since it would be unethical right, to try to convince that four-year-old boy that he suffers from some sort of error in his thinking, and likewise it would be unethical to just let him naturally pass through that phase, which he would do 98% of the time, what we must do is simply affirm the child's perceived gender identity and facilitate a full transition to the other gender. To do anything else might cost you your job, would be considered unethical. Okay? So if your kids are in high school, it's too late. They're doing this in three and four-year-olds. So they came up many years ago with a stepwise approach. How do we do this as a child ages? Step one would be socially transitioning these child, these children in early uh, childhood before puberty. And what social transformation means is let them grow their hair out long, let them paint their fingernails, them wear dresses. Uh, if you're on vacation, you might want to use that as a time for them to fully immerse themselves in the other gender. Um, let them dress and behave and be treated exactly like a little girl when you're on vacation and then when you come back, kind of tame it down a little bit. But it's to give them a sampling of what it's like to live as the other gender. That's called social transitioning. Now, mental health professionals are trained not to discourage this. Physical interventions are not recommended typically before puberty. The guidelines state that although physical interventions are not recommended, uh, they can be considered in adolescence after psychological family and social treatment has been incorporated. So that's step one. When the child gets a little bit older, now they're starting to head into puberty around 9 to 11 years old. The next step is puberty blockers. We have to stop that body from progressing into now going through puberty to, to adulthood. So we give them medication to block puberty. Histrolin and Luprolide are some examples of drugs that are given to children prior to puberty to arrest puberty. The thinking is give them a little bit more time to be in that opposite gender to understand what it's like so they're sure they want to do it. But if you think about what's happening, the rest of their classmates are proceeding through puberty and all the changes associated with it. They're being artificially held behind uh, 
absolutely nothing that caused a greater divide than this warning would be uh, increased, I would argue. After puberty, then, then you can start sex, cross-sex hormones. Uh, that means giving little girls massive amounts of testosterone, little boys get massive amounts of estrogen. Um, and surgery is now considered from 14 on to adulthood. Um, girls as young as 13 are undergoing double mastectomies. Uh, boys as young as 17 are undergoing full genital sex reassignment surgery. So once you, you start cross-sex hormones, some of those changes are going to be irreversible. Right? If you give, for example, a, a little girl a lot of testosterone, her voice will deepen. That will never go away. She's permanently changed. Some changes are reversible. If a little boy grows breasts and breast blood developing, you can do a mastectomy on that boy and correct it to some semblance of normal. But many of these things are irreversible. These are little children that are making decisions that are going to affect them forever, irreversibly. Then we get to full uh, legal document changes as a last step. We have to change birth certificates. We have to you know, change their driver's license and school records to totally transferred from one sex to the other. Um, the treatment guidelines go into great graphic detail what those surgeries are. So if you're inclined, you want to know what they are, they'll go through that. Uh, uh, um, and then Dr. Wardell spends a lot of time talking about pastoral care and what we as a church can and should do about this. Um, but it's important to know that the treatment regarding dysphoria is based solely on the patient's feelings. If I feel I'm a boy, not a girl, and we're going to throw all these things at these children for a feeling that they have that would go away 98% of the time. So that's a lot of stuff to get your noggin around. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, uh, I'm not quite sure where we are on the time here. I'm going to okay. stop and let's open it up to questions. I probably went a little long, but um, I'll try to answer them if I'm able. Well, I, I don't understand why this one thing is looked at from this perspective when everything else is not. So, like, for example, kids can't just make a decision to get a tattoo, which is permanently altering, until they're 18 years old. Smoking is 18 now to 21. Like, there's all these other laws and things in place to protect these children from making decisions that maybe they're not qualified to make at a younger age. Why is this issue being looked at so differently than every other Thing that parents look at when raising a child. Isn't that a great question? <laughs> <laughs> of course it doesn't make sense, but that doesn't promote the transgender ideology. In, in my, now we're asking my opinion now. I, there's, there are a group of people that want, if, if without a creator God, I get to construct, uh, Gene Edward Beef likes to use the word constructivist mentality. I construct for myself who I am and what I am, my own sexuality, my own ethics, everything. And we should be free from all of you bigots to create whatever I want to create. Right? And if you stand in the way, you should be canceled. Okay? Um, so it's a great question. And they would say that you know, you're standing on their rights to be who they are, to self-actualize. But every, as every other self-actualization is based on like the community and if you're doing something wrong, that's reflected back to you and you need to adjust your position. So again. That's assuming there's objective ethics out there. Mm -hmm. Right? It's assuming that there's an ethic that the society agrees upon. Right? That this is good and this is bad. If we construct for ourselves what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, and who I am, none of those apply. Mm -hmm. So how's the four-year-old grandson that you talked about? That's what I'm here. I don't have a teenager dynamic. But they asked him last week, is he happy being a boy? Yes. I went crazy. <laughs> and, and a woman that I talked to, not my wife, um, but a, another mother, special lady, she said, the witch would have come out on me, in me, and I would have gone to the school, and I talked to the teacher, and then I have gone to the superintendent. So she kind of gave the whole litany. And a bunch of motorcycle guys that I saw the other day called my attention the law. And they said, you know, the House of Representatives now has passed, which I don't really know the depth of the law, but has passed the equality law. Yes. So Josh, if you want to really do something, write to your congressman, write to your senator, because that's going to move to the House and make sure they are, so 
cheap terms or on that? If it's on well, point, if it's not, it, it is exactly. You're right where I was hoping you would be at this point. I've heard the, the, the 30,000 foot view now. Now what do I do when my elementary school kid comes home and uses the word gender in a sentence of any type? If you hear the word gender come out of his mouth, you better get the parent guide right away. Because that's where the parent guide picks up now. What do I do? Okay, what do I do about this? What are my rights as a parent? And it's got a lot of great things about your rights as a parent. Uh, what does this mean? What are the schools trained to do? What are the schools doing with, with this Title IX where male and female athletes? It talks, can I exempt my children from certain things? It talks all about that. So you're tracking perfectly. What do I do? That's where you should be right now, okay? Once we got your mind around it, now it's what do I do? The practical thing comes from the parent resource guide. So what did I do? I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna just step in just because I know we have a pastor in the room that probably has to give the service. Um, so, <laughs> so, there's another pastor. <laughs> um, so Dr. Ogren has put together some really good follow-up questions that kind of are continuing the discussion that we're starting right now. Um, we kind of got off in our schedule because of the freeze and our cancel, but next week, we're gonna come around these questions again. So I'd like you all to come back next week. We have the resources now, um, and it's our job as parents and as Christians, right, to follow up. And we can listen and we can kind of just take what's coming to us, or we can also be proactive. And so I really encourage you all this week um, this has been videoed, so that link is going to go out to all of you as well if you want to watch it again and pick up some of the stuff that you may have missed if you want to share it. Um, and then we're going to come back next week and talk about these things. So it's kind of like we're on the cliff. There's so much, um, and we're just closing it down right now for this moment, even though it's a bigger topic. You're welcome. I brought you to the Thank you.